0: felt it necessary to point out to the first service that I dressed myself today. You know, my wife didn't have to pick out my clothes, so I just wanted you to know that. But let me start out our our service today with a premise. What you don't know can't help you. What you don't know can't help you. You know, not too long ago, I changed computers, and um, I was home on a... Saturday afternoon, and I said, you know what, I'll, I'll start my taxes. So I broke out my new piece of equipment, and lo and behold, I didn't have my software on that computer. It was on my old computer that was in my office. So I thought to myself, well, I'm not going to be able to do this. Maybe it was a subconscious thing kind of thing. I don't really want to do this now. But so I, I put it off. When I finally got to my office and got out my old laptop, fired it up, first thing it has to do was update. And then I'm thinking to myself, I could have just downloaded the software onto my new computer from my account. But what I didn't know couldn't help me. I'll give you another example. If you go right now to the state treasurer's website, one of the tabs at the top is going to say unclaimed property. You click on it, very first, uh, there's a statement at the very beginning that in two, September of 2012, When the state treasury's office updated their website, updated their list, they added 40,000 new names to the people in Massachusetts who have unclaimed property. They say that one out of ten people in Massachusetts have unclaimed assets and that the new assets that they listed in September totaled $21 million. What you don't know can't help you. I check. My name's not in the list. <laughs> and they don't tell you which are the bigger ones because then I might change my name and see if I. But anyway, so all across our country today, people will gather to celebrate Easter. But they'll do so without any thought about God. They'll do so without any knowledge of God. And what they don't know can't help them. The same way, there may be some of us here, maybe even some of us who attend regularly, who who think we know it, but we don't really know it. And what we don't know can't help us. I mean, the things that we consider in Holy Week, between the time of the triumphal entry and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave, are really things that altered time, period. They not only altered human history, it only alters individual lives, but it really alters all of eternity. I mean, these are, these are, if you will, heaven-shaking type of events, and it's really difficult for us to kind of get our hands on it and really know it. And what we don't know can't help us. So we've been struggling to try to get our hands on it so that we can know it, and therefore it can help us it can change us and we've been utilizing an imagery that is very prevalent in the holy week story it's the imagery of a cup we see it we have a cup here kind of peeking out from the edge of our slide the the image of a cup re, recurs over and over again in the holy week story in the middle of the week James and John who were Two of the inside type of apostles, they come to Jesus and they say, we know that the kingdom is about ready to come. We know that you're about ready to ascend to whatever leadership role you're going to have and we want to have the right and the left hands. We want to be right there with you in power. And Jesus says to them, you know, what you asked for, I can't give you, but are you really ready to drink the cup that I'm about ready to drink? Later on, the last night of his life, as he's out in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's In his final times of prayer, not once, not twice, but three times he asked God to take the cup from him. Then Peter, when the guards show up to arrest Jesus, Peter pulls out his sword. He's going to be the hero and he he cuts off the ear of one of the guards and Jesus puts a stop to it. And he heals the guard's ear. And then he says to Peter, Peter, shall I not drink the cup? That God has for me. But probably the most well known is the cup that Jesus offered as a part of that last meal together that we call the Lord's Supper, a part of the Passover celebration. I'd love to read about that for just a minute. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Mark chapter 14 with me. If you're using one of our Pew Bibles, you'll find our text today on page 861. going to read four verses before we move to a different passage. And again, our spirit is for us to know so that it can help us. Last week as we met together, we looked at the, the cup that Jesus drank. It was a cup of suffering and a cup of sacrifice, if you will, symbolizing His death on the cross and all the wrath of God, the the payment for sin that He took. But today, we look at the cup that Jesus offers to us. Beginning with the 22nd verse, we read, And as they were eating, He took bread. He blessed it and He broke it and He gave it to them. And He said, Take it. This is my body. We're going to do so in just a few minutes. It says, Then He took a cup And after he gave thanks, he offered it to them. He gave it to them. And so they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood that establishes the new covenant. It is shed for many. I assure you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it in a new way in the kingdom of God. And after singing psalms, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus used the cup that night, and the cup is, is, a, is a very frequent image in the scriptures. And it really is used to symbolize whatever's supposed to be in the cup. And in this particular case, as Jesus passes the cup to the disciples, what it symbolizes to them is a new covenant that God is going to offer to them through his blood. So what, what is this new covenant? What is covenant in general? I mean, if you were going to go to a Bible dictionary, some kind of a Bible encyclopedia, the, the entry on covenant would probably be one of the longest entries in there because it's a very complex thing. But let's, let's kind of boil it down to a covenant as it's established between God and his people is basically the, the, the mechanism, the status, the way it expresses the way that his people can have a relationship with God. It just kind of sets out the parameters or the principles, if you will. And here Jesus says, "I, I am offering you a new way of relating to God. Now, what's interesting, and maybe what we don't know, is that this is a better covenant than the old covenant. I mean, there was the covenant that God established with the people of Israel through Moses. It was their way of relating to him, staying in relationship with him. But Jesus comes along as the Messiah, and he offers a better covenant. Now, I'm not just making that up. It's actually in the scriptures. In fact, let me encourage you to turn over to Hebrews chapter 8 with me. Because we're going to spend the rest of our time in this, this passage. Your te- the text is on page 1019. The bulk of it is a quotation from a Prophecy. A word that God had shared through Jeremiah 600 years earlier. But but I want to start with the sixth verse. And we'll read down through the end of the chapter. The author of Hebrews, and we don't know exactly who that was, says, but Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry. And to that degree, he is a mediator of a better ministry covenant and the reason it's a better covenant is because it's been legally built upon or enacted upon better promises you ever seen that commercial now that's out you know why is why is more better you know the guy sitting around you know i better is just better you know and i don't know about you but i'd like to have a better covenant built on better promises than a not as good covenant so how is it that jesus can be the mediator of a better covenant than Moses. And really, that can, again is something that the book of Hebrews is dealing with at length. Let me just kind of summarize it really quickly. The reason that Jesus can be the enactor or the provider or the means of a better covenant, a better way of relating with God is, first of all, he didn't need a covenant. Moses and all the high priests that followed after him They all needed the same covenant that the people they represented before God needed. They still needed a solution for their sin. They still needed a way to be able to relate with God. Well, guess what? Jesus was God. He didn't need a covenant. And because of that, he can be he can have a superior ministry and give us a better covenant. Also, the very fact of the resurrection means that he's in a position to give us a better covenant. He's the only person ever to defeat death. There are a couple of guys who eluded death, got taken straight up to heaven. There's a couple of guys who got brought back from death, but then died again. But there's just Jesus who actually conquered death, which is what we celebrate in Easter. He's risen. You're a little slow on the uptake there, I know. All right, just making sure you're still awake. So how is it that this covenant is better. Well, let's keep reading. Verse 7, For if that first covenant had been faultless, in other words, if it it was perfect, no opportunity would have been sought for a second one. But there was room for improvement. And at a time when God found fault with His people, you can read in the lines there, He was ticked at them because they were violating the covenant. God offered a new word, a promise through Jeremiah. And He says, Look, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by their hand and led them out of Egypt because they didn't continue in my covenant and therefore I disregarded them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they'll be my people. And each person will not teach his fellow citizen, and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they'll all know me, from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to the wrongdoing, and I will never again remember their sins. By saying a new covenant, he has declared that the first is old, and what is old and aging is about to disappear. Let me just give you three points quickly about how this new covenant that Jesus offers us symbolized in that cup that he passed to the disciples that night three ways that it's better than the old covenant the first is this based on this new covenant that Jesus offers these better promises it makes our past irrelevant in terms of moving forward spiritually with God It just makes our past irrelevant. Well, how do I get that from the text? Well, look at verse 12. God says, I'm going to be merciful to their wrongdoing. And I'm never, ever going to ever, 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 ever again remember their sin. So what you did in the past doesn't affect your spiritual future. Because God is ready to forgive, forget, and never remember again and allow us to move forward in our relationship. Now, the old covenant was built upon what you did. And if you didn't do it, you were in trouble. Here, the scripture says we are no long, that our past is no longer relevant to our future with God. That's what the Bible calls grace. Now, usually when we encounter this issue about our past, people kind of go in one of two directions. There are some who say, well, you know, I don't really have sin. You know, I've done a few things, you know, little white lies and this and that, you know, whatever, but, but I don't have any real sin. So, you know, how is it that I, I need, you know, I'm just a good person. I've always tried to be a good person. Well, first of all, the scripture is pretty clear when it says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that, that's all. But if you need a litmus test to see if you're a sinner, just ask yourself this question. Have you done some things that you don't want your parents to know about? Or, have you done some things that you don't want your kids to do? If you can answer yes to either one of those questions, you're a sinner. (laughs) If you've ever hurt anybody else, and it's because of an action that you intended to do, maybe you didn't intend to hurt, but it's something you meant to do, it wasn't just an accident or a mistake, you're a sinner. The wonderful news is, in terms of moving forward with God, doesn't have any impact because God's ready to be merciful and not to remember our iniquity, our sin, our shortcomings anymore. The other end is, is of the spectrum is there's that group that says, well, I don't really have sin. The others is, that, you know, I, I, I've just done some stuff that I, you know, you, you just can't be forgiven for. You just can't be forgiven for this stuff. I, I've hurt or damaged or I just did some things that are so awful that they're just a part of who I am and I, they could never get past it and therefore I really have no future with God. I've met some people along the way who felt that way. But I'll also tell you that in my ministry, some of the people that I have known who today are some of the greatest spiritual redwoods that we could know are people who in their past committed adultery, had an abortion, stole from people they cared about, And their past is no longer holding them hostage in terms of their future. Because we have a better covenant. And if we know it, it can help us. Because our past doesn't have to determine our spiritual future with God. It's also better. Because in this new covenant, God is ready to connect with us no matter where we are. No matter who we are. God is ready to connect with anybody exactly where they are. Look, look what he says at the end of verse 10 and flowing down into verse 11. He says, I will be their God. And they will be my people. He says, because they'll all know me, picking up now in verse 11, from the least to the greatest of them. I, I don't care if you are the homeless guy on the streets of Key West or whether you live at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And I did check in the first service to make sure that was the address of the White House. God's ready to meet us. Right exactly where we are. And and we're never so far away. We're never so poor. We're never so unimportant that God won't connect with us. And we're never in a place where we're so important we don't need God anymore. God's ready to meet with us. And he's absolutely ready to step into a real relationship with us. I'm ready to be their God, and they will be my people. Now, you know, it's often that this is where we get some confusion in our spiritual journey. Because a lot of people think of, of, of Christianity as well as like it's a religion, which is really like a, it's a philosophy, it's a set of ideals by which we live our lives. That's not Christianity whatsoever. Christianity is a relationship with God. That's why when God revealed himself to Moses. He said, "I am. I, I'm a being just like you, different from you, but also like you. I am." And that's why the Word, who was Jesus, became flesh, because he's personal. He 's a being, and we can actually enter into a relationship with Him, and we can meet God no matter where we are. This relationship is real, it's personal. And it's permanent. What did we sing a few minutes ago? No scheme of man, no power of hell can ever take us from the hand of God. It's permanent. And guess what? God can even meet you at 35 Chocsit Row, in the fifth seat of the fourth aisle on Easter Sunday 2013. God can meet you and wants to meet you. So know this so it can help you. God's available to enter into a relationship with you right now. Absolutely right now. Always has been. And stands ready to do so today. One last thing. It makes our past irrelevant in terms of our spiritual future. By this covenant, God is ready to connect with any of us, no matter where we are, right now, at any time. And third... This new covenant equips us to really live with God. It equips us to really live with God. Look, look what he says in the middle of verse 10. He says, I'm going to put their laws, my laws, into their minds. I'm going to take my law in terms of this, this what does it mean to live with me, to live for me? To, to, I'm going to write it right on your heart. This means that God equips us to actually live a life. Of faith. One of the saddest things that, that I've heard out of the minds of those who are, quote unquote, trying to live for God is we're visiting in my office or in just whatever context we're in, they're saying, you know, faith just doesn't seem to work for me. You know, I've, I've tried faith, but it just doesn't work for me. And you know what happens? Our red flag goes off because faith isn't a behavior that we somehow have to master. It's a passion that God puts within us that we just automatically and naturally cultivate over a period of time. will give you an example. Back in the late summer of 1977, I was in high school, a junior, getting ready to start my junior year. Uh, I was... Generally, from Memorial Day to Labor Day, we were gone every weekend, but the, the, the extended family had a, a lake house that we were at almost every weekend. But, but I was home because that weekend because double sessions were in place as the beginning of football season. So I had two practices on Saturday, including Saturday night. And So I went to church on Sunday. At the time when we were all standing up and singing a hymn, and I wasn't singing, this is back when I thought singing was about me before I figured out that singing really is about God. You know, and so I so then I became a singer. Not a good one, but a singer. Maybe it's more a a noisemaker. So that's probably a better thing. But but I'm not I'm not singing a song, I'm looking around and I see this high school age girl that I'd never seen before. And in my deep spirituality I say, Wow, she's pretty. And her name was Christina. And um and she was only fourteen. So you fathers lock your daughters up, I'll tell you right now. <laughs> and if you see the boys looking around, you and not know, get the story. Anyway, you know, now, I, w- I immediately was attracted to her. It created a feeling inside. Now, it's not like I had to go home and say, okay, let's pull out my encyclopedia and go to the entry of What do you do and what do you feel when you see a pretty girl? I, I didn't have to do that. I didn't have to go home and learn a behavior. It was something that was just kind of happening inside, you know, those flutters you get, you know. And, and now I'm not saying I haven't learned a lot of things over the years. Because we've been together more than I want to say, because that makes us old, you know. And, but it, it wasn't something I had to go out and master and learn and learn from everybody else and read it off of two tablets of stone that God had written. It was stuff that I felt in my own heart. And because of that, I was just pursuing it. And over sure, we made some mistakes and et cetera. There's a short period of time in my senior year where we, we weren't going out anymore. But then that kind of reconnected. We learned and we grew You know, I learned how to communicate better, how to understand her more and all that kind of stuff. Sure, we got better at it, but it was all from the inside. It was cultivating a passion. You know what God says? When I give you this new covenant, you're not going to have to go out and learn all this stuff, these 694 laws from the outside. I'm going to write it on the inside. And all you've got to do is cultivate the passion. You can grow. You can learn. You can have an accountability group that won't let you worm out of doing your testimony on a Sunday morning. But it's still stuff that comes from the inside. And that's the covenant. That God, Know this today, because it can help you. That God will equip you to walk with Him and to be faithful. See, this is the new and better covenant that Jesus offered. After He had drank the cup of the cross he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God in victory, he's able to offer us the cup of the new covenant. We're going to remember that this morning as a call to us. I invite those who are going to help serve the Lord's Supper to kind of prepare themselves in the back. We're going to remember this new covenant that God has offered to us in the manner in which God has invited us to do so, which is to observe the Lord's Supper. Let me just read again that account from us from the Gospel of Mark. And then I'll lead us in a brief prayer. And then in just a, some moments of quiet, quiet reflection, we can think about what do we really know? And is it really helping us in our spiritual journey? Again, the Scripture says, as they were eating, he took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And he said, take it. This is my body. It says, then he took a cup, And after he gave thanks, he gave it to them. And he said to them, This is my blood that establishes the new covenant. It's shed for many. It's shed for all of us. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you want us to know what it is that you've really done for us in Jesus Christ. And God, that that knowledge would help us in this life and for all eternity. God, we remember today As we take of the bread and we take of the cup. As we pray in the name of the one who offered it. And gives it power. Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The one who died, the one who was buried, the one who was resurrected is the one who says to us, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. He's the same one who passed around the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Know it, never forget it, drink from it, all of you. God's people said, amen. Got one more premise for you, much shorter one, which is probably good news to you. What you don't know can't help you. What you don't have can't help you. You might be one of those 40,000 people that got added to the state treasurer's website. You may figure it out, but if you don't actually go and take possession of your unclaimed asset, it's not going to do you any good the same way, we might know what it is that God has done for us in this new covenant, how it's better for us, but if we don't take possession of it, it's not going to help us. It's my charge today before God to offer to you the opportunity to make it yours. To ask God to forgive you for your past, to enter into your life through faith in Christ, And to keep showing you from the inside out how to walk with Him. That's the invitation that God has for us today. To take what you know and make it yours so that it helps you spiritually for all eternity. We're trying to make that as easy as we can for you today. In the seat backs in front of you, there's a card that looks just like this. What we'd like you to do, if if you've never taken possession of it before like Scott talked about earlier in his spiritual journey, if you've never taken possession of this new covenant and made it your own through your faith in Jesus Christ, we invite you to take that step today. All we're asking you to do is just fill out the backside of this card. And when you leave today, there's a table out in the lobby. It's got a big sign on it that looks just like the front of your card we'd like for you to go by there and just place your card there. Now, some of you think, well, you know, I don't want to be the only one in my row doing this and whatever. I'll, they'll think I'm the weirdo, you know. Actually, everybody else in your row is going to be thinking, "Wow, that's great." You know? They're going to be excited for you. But but we the reason we want you to do this is we want you to stop by the table cuz we have some great resources out there for you. They're not magical, but they're very helpful. And we just want you to get off to a good start. You go by the table out there today with one of these cards, there's a, there's a resource out there called You've Chosen to Follow Christ. So what are my next steps? And, and this, this just has some great information about how it is that Christ's activity in the world created the foundation for this new covenant. And then it has some great next steps for you to take in a, in a great 30-day Bible reading plan about the life of Christ. Just, just a great resource. And you can swing by. and, and, and it, Also, in the little kit that we have, is a New Believer's Bible. Let me use the word... This is, this is the Bible for dummies, all right? Not to insult your intelligence, but just to say that you're a beginner, all right? And that's why they call it New Believer's Bible, the Beginner's Bible. And the reason why is because in the front, there are a whole number of a whole bunch of studies that are outlined. But instead of giving you you know all these references, they just start to like, oh, who is God? How do I know God? What is the Bible? You know, those kinds of things... And there's little launch studies that are in each of the front pages in the front. And then they lead you just page by page, Scripture by Scripture, throughout the Bible, helping you understand what it is that the Scripture really says about this. It's a great resource. So I encourage you, as you take that, next, that first step to make the covenant your own, this new covenant your own, I invite you to step by, go by the table today with one of these cards. Now, we will follow you up. We will not bug you. We will not hound you. But we will simply connect with you either via email or phone and just say, is there anything else we can do to help you in your spiritual journey? And if your response is you don't know no, the pastor is way too ugly or he talks too long or whatever, that's fine. You know, We're not going to keep bugging you, but we want to try to help you. So you don't have to be afraid to give you... We don't sell it off to anybody else. You're not going to start hearing from CBS or other kind of, or CBS or other kind of marketing. You're not going to hear any of that. We just want to see if we can serve. Now, like me with my computer program for my taxes. We, we, we can forget that which we know. So we have a small symbol today that we'd like for you to take with you that will help you to remember that Jesus drank the cup of sacrifice and suffering for you. And he offers us the cup of the new covenant. Underneath the seats on the outside of the, on the, outside of the aisles, you'll find baskets that have a little cup made out of olive wood. We'd love for you just to pick those up, take a cup, and pass it down the aisle. When you get to the end, just stick it underneath. There should be enough in every row. You know, we've had some full services. We know that we have enough overall for, you to, for everybody to get one. So if your basket happens to be empty, you can go ahead and, um, and, um, and, and just see me afterwards. We'll make sure you get one, or just look for one of the baskets. There should be some left. I'm, I'm planning on trying to drill a little hole in mine and stick a like a piece of thread through it, I'm going to hang it in the mirror of my car. So it'll just keep dangling there to remind me that Jesus drank the cup for me and he's offered me the cup of the new covenant. And it's mine, because I've made it mine. Some of you may want to stick it in a coin purse or put it on a bureau or put it on your desk at work as a reminder. But let us never forget what we now know and what now can be ours. Let's just pray together and then we'll sing our concluding song. God, we're grateful that you have stepped into history and that you've altered history, both here and for all eternity. God, thanks for what you are so passionate for us to know and what you are so eager for us to make our own. If you've never made it your own, you could simply just pray a prayer silently in your own heart, like I'm going to pray right now. God, I know I've got things in my past that aren't the greatest. I ask you to forgive me of those based upon what Jesus did. God, I invite you into my life by faith in Christ. Not exactly sure all of what that means right now, but I really mean it. And God, show me each and every day how to live for and with you. For this is my prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.